Praise be to God. Once again, as we've gathered before the Lord our God this morning, we are grateful that the Holy Spirit has been given by God to us, that he's given us of his word, that we might know God's purposes, God's will, and the things that he has given to us. And today, even as we have heard the different readings, I believe that this is the lesson, this is the truth, this is the principle that God is wanting to communicate to us this day. Lesson is this. Who Christ is to us will determine how we live for Christ. Once again, who Christ is to us will determine how we will live for Christ. One more time. Who Christ is to us will determine how we will live or how we live for Christ. This particular gospel lesson, uh, we encounter one of the most important questions that we will ever ask ourselves. I know that this was asked of the disciples, but basically this is a question we need to ask ourselves also. Because who Christ is to us will determine the level of commitment, uh, conviction, uh, or belief that we will have, and it will determine how we will live our lives. Uh, is he just a baby Christ, you know? Like, is he a, like so many people believe he's, uh, he's never stopped growing up, like he's a Santo Nino. Now, I know that people who are devoted to that, they say, well, you know, we, we believe he's grown up. It's just that we like this phase in his life. Okay, I understand that. But how many of you here today, uh, you are parents and you've seen your child born as babies. So you've never seen your children born as babies. Okay? So they were born adults already. Delata. Well, you know, when, they, when they're born as babies, do you take care of them? Or do they take care of you? Okay? If they're babies, do you train them? Or do you let them train you? Normally, we take care of them, right? And while they're growing up, let's say they're no longer babies, they're, let's say, two years old, three years old, four years old. I mean, when the elections come along, you don't say, excuse me, son, or excuse me, daughter, who do you think I should vote for? Do you ask advice from little children? No. If your children demand to have their ways, do you follow their ways instead of giving them discipline? You don't, right? Because they're little kids. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're little children. We understand, okay, that they're still under our care. We understand they do not know right from wrong, okay? We understand that uh, they're not yet responsible. I mean, if you had the ability to buy your kids, four years old, five years old, a car, would you buy them a car? They're not responsible yet. They don't know what's right and they don't know what's wrong. Okay? So basically, when kids begin to grow up, we develop an idea that we're the ones taking care of them. We have authority over them. If they say something which we believe is wrong, then we need to correct them. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Hello? And sometimes I believe that uh, because we have this picture of a child Jesus, uh, we see him as cute, we see him as holy, but we really don't see him as having lordship in our lives because he's just a child. You understand what I'm saying? We tend to take liberties concerning him. And we need to understand that Jesus Christ has already grown up and he's done so many things for us. And at the time that Jesus Christ was training his disciples during this gospel, it was not yet totally revealed to them that Jesus Christ was God. Okay? He came as the Son of Man. He never stopped being God. He was always God. He is God and he will always be God. Never at any time in history did Jesus Christ stop being God. As a matter of fact, you look at the altar. We have two candles there. It is symbolically telling us that Jesus Christ is a son of man. And the other one, Jesus Christ is a son of God. Okay? There is no mixing of their natures. Because if the nature is mixed then that will make him half God and half man. If he's half a God, then he's not totally God. If he's half a man, then he's not totally a man. You, you understand what I'm saying? He is fully man and he is fully God. Do you understand? Hello? Okay. So we need to understand that uh, it is only because of an awesome God that we can have something like this, someone like him. And uh, we see his story in the pages of the gospel. And St. Paul, when he's writing the epistles, he shows us certain things that we receive from him simply because Jesus Christ did what he did. Okay? And uh, people say, well, you know what? Maybe this is for scholars. Maybe this is for the pastors. Maybe this is for the priests and for the bishops. You need to understand that everything that Jesus Christ did, he did for you and for me. Hello? Uh, he didn't just do everything just to have a dramatic impression on us. He didn't do all of those things just to impress us. Okay? He did those things because he wanted to reinforce what the Father always wanted from the very beginning. From the very beginning, the Bible very clearly says, God created man in his own image. We are supposed to reflect God. And he said, he, he gave man the land where he is, the garden where he is. And he gave man dominion over that. God has dominion over all of his creation. Man has dominion over the earth. Hello? We know that he blew that when he disobeyed God. And when Jesus Christ came along, he came to restore everything that was lost to us. God always wanted a race of men who will carry his nature. God always wanted a people who will act like sons of the Almighty. A spiritual force that is so powerful 
it will change everything in the earth. He's raising up an army that cannot be stopped. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? God has given angels in charge of us and angels to assist us in the work that, he's, that he wants us to do. He wants us to operate in the God kind of faith that Jesus Christ operated in. There are four references in the Holy Scriptures uh, concerning the God kind of faith where you will say to the mountain, believe in your heart, okay, that what you say will come to pass and it shall be done. He wants a race of people who will be able to do that. But isn't it only God can do that? God is the one who's able to do that and he created us to be in his image. He wants us to do the same thing. It is not offensive to God when we operate like him. After all, he is our father. We are his sons and daughters. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? Because in the book of Ephesians, it says there, we should mimic, imitate our father. When we start acting like our father, when we start acting like our brother Jesus, it doesn't offend God. It makes him proud. It makes him, you know, it makes him happy. He takes pleasure that finally we are beginning to realize who we are. That we are not helpless people subject to the forces of the earth. But rather we have been placed here to impose the kingdom of God on the earth. Hello. But for that to be able to happen in our lives, there must be a realization in our hearts. We need to understand who Jesus is to us. Amen? Now let's go to our gospel today. There are two thoughts that basically uh, like to, uh, to discuss with you. The, the first one is from verse 13 to 16. It's basically a question. Who is Jesus Christ to us? Who is he to us? Okay? The second, uh, the second question, uh, uh, or rather the second thought I'd like to share with you is based on verse 17 to 20. Knowing who Christ is will allow us to walk in his authority. Knowing who Christ is will allow us to walk in his authority. Now let's look at uh, uh, verse 13 first. Of, uh, of Matthew chapter 16. Going back to the question, who is Christ to us? Verse 13, it says, when Jesus Christ, uh, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Okay? Uh, take note, it says, when Jesus Christ went to Caesarea Philippi, this was near the border of the Gentiles. Matter of fact, Caesarea Philippi was a Gentile town. When I talk about Gentiles here, it means these, these are people who are not Jews. They don't, they're not Jews by blood, okay? And when we went to Israel and we went to Caesarea Philippi, there were caves there with certain holes or certain altars. There's no more gods there, okay? But it, 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 there were pagan gods in Caesarea Philippi. And it was known also where uh, the worship of Baal, 
and Pan was being done. Pan, you know, in Greek mythology, he's the guy who had the body of a man and the legs of a goat. So somehow he was one of the gods, small g, that the people worship. It is in this background that the question came of who Jesus was, all right? So it says here, he was in the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Okay? Now, this was the background. These were Gentiles. They had no knowledge of the one true God. As a matter of fact, they had altars over there. They had mountains with big holes, uh, bigger than this picture you see here. And there were gods who were there. People were worshipping at different levels. Okay? It was in the background of this that Jesus Christ asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Okay? I'm sure you've got the, the, the heartbeat of the people. I'm sure you're talking to them. Who do they say that I am? Okay? And so in verse 14, so they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. When he asked the question, the answer was nice. At least they were thinking nicely of him. Okay? They did not say, well, some people thought you're a demon. They didn't say that. Well, some people thought you were a fraud. They didn't say that. Some people say that you're a madman. They didn't say that. They said, well, some people think that you're John the Baptist. Come to life. Somehow the Jewish people, they had a supernatural mind view that would allow them to believe something like that. Some say you're Elijah. Uh, according to the Old Testament, they had a prophecy that just before the great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah would come. So they were thinking, maybe you're the one, Elijah. And some say you're Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a, was a prophet who lived at a time where people were disobeying God. And he was going there and he was telling the people, no, this is what God says. This is what God requires. You're not doing what God is saying. And, they, and some of them said, well, you know, uh, if they're not thinking you're Elijah, they're not thinking you're John the Baptist, if they're not thinking you're Jeremiah, well, they're thinking you're one of the prophets. That's a very high compliment that they could pay the Lord. Okay? They were thinking, it was a, that was the highest thing that they could think about him. That he was a prophet. Now a prophet is good because a prophet is someone who has the mind of God. A prophet is like God's lawyer. He speaks in behalf of God. And, he, and probably he's not very tactful. He says it exactly the way it is. Black is black, white is white. Okay? So basically, they say, you're, 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 you're a good guy. You're on our side. Maybe you're like a prophet. Or you're a prophet. Okay? That's good. That was the highest compliment that they could give him. But we need to understand something here. But although Jesus Christ had prophetic gifts, although Jesus Christ moved in the office of the prophet also, Jesus Christ was not just a prophet. Hello? Jesus Christ was more than a prophet. He was a son of God. And so that's what the people say. And, and uh, 
The more important question comes after that in verse 15. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Okay, that's what the people say. They think I'm Elijah. I'm not. That's them. They think I'm Jeremiah. No, but that's them. They think I'm John the Baptist. Oh, epic fail, but that's them. All right, that's them. But what about you? You have been walking with me all these weeks and all these months. You've been able to discern teaching that was not even available to the crowds. When, we, when things begin to happen, the crowds just enjoy the benefits of the teaching and the miracles and the signs and the wonders. But when we come to dinner together, it's just us. And if there's something you did not understand, you would ask me and I would give you a direct answer. I taught you how to pray to the Father. I taught you all about these things. I taught you this and I taught you that. You have insider privileges and insider information concerning me. The people out there, they don't. And so therefore, I understand why they think I am just like one of the prophets. But you are my disciples. You are the ones that I will unleash into the world. You are the ones who will carry the presence of God into the world. You are the ones through whom the power of God will explode in the world. You are the ones that will break down darkness and bring light into the world. Now, who do you say that I am? Okay? And uh, it says here, Simon Peter answered, Simon Peter answered and, and said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The word Christ means the anointed one of God. Okay? The people understood that the different prophets like Moses, like Elijah, they were anointed. They were anointed messengers. They were anointed uh, messiahs with a small M. They were deliverers in their own right. But they, uh, they were a foreshadowing or a forerunner of the one who is to come. Okay? And so, uh, when, 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 when Peter said, we believe you are the Christ, not just one of the many anointed prophets of King, but we believe you are the one. Okay? Peter said, you are the one we've been waiting for. You are the fulfillment of all the prophets have been prophesying. You are the champion of God. You are the anointed one. And then he says, you are the son of the living God. In other words, as the Christ, you have been chosen by God. As the Son, you will make known to us the will of the Father. As the living, uh, as the Son, as the anointed Son of the living God. Only you can fulfill the promises which these other gods 
Remember, they were in Caesarea Philippi. There were so many gods, small g, that were around them. And some of the small gods, they probably had promises, and many of the people were probably disappointed because some of these gods, even though they had many followers, were not able to fulfill what their promises were supposed to be. As the anointed son of the living God, he was saying, you are the only one, the only one who is able to fulfill all the promises to the people who choose to put their faith in you. You understand what I'm saying? This was like a bombshell, okay? The moment this was spoken, I'm sure it created, it sounded like a thunderstorm in the regions of God. I'm sure there was a spiritual earthquake when he said this, because this was a truth that came down from heaven, okay? And of all people to say this, it had to be St. Peter who said this. Now let's go to the second thought. Knowing who Christ is will, will allow us to walk in his authority, okay? See, we need to understand something. If we think that Jesus Christ is just someone that we come to every Sunday, but really he has no, uh, uh, he has nothing to give to us at the rest of the week. Then when we come here on a Sunday, it's more or less, we come here based on obligation, you know, just to peace this God, okay? But during the rest of the week, his voice is not that important. His ideas, his thoughts, uh, they're not that important. I'm going to shape my values and my priorities based on what the world tells me, not based on him because he's just a God inside the church on a Sunday. And uh, understand that he died for me and I'm going to go to heaven. I'm just, not, I'm just making sure I don't jeopardize that. I'm just going to do the very minimum just to make sure I maintain my place in heaven. I don't care if it's the last place as long as it's in heaven. So people have a maintenance mentality because it's only Jesus, okay? He's kind of understanding, he's kind of okay, he's an okay kind of a guy, he loves us, and because he loves us, we can do almost anything and get away with it because all we have to say is we're sorry and he forgives us. He's kind of a pushover. And so we don't really commit our lives to him. We just make sure we do the right thing, the very minimum, so that we will have our place in heaven. Hello? We don't have, it doesn't have any relevance in our lives. When it comes to our work, our work's more important than him. When it comes to our hobbies, our hobbies is more important than him. When it comes to the people that we meet, uh, the people we meet, they're more important than him. I mean, if they tell us we need to be there on a Sunday, guess what? Lord, I'll see you next Sunday. I can't be there this Sunday, but I'll see you next Sunday. Anyway, all I say is, I'm sorry. I know you forget me. Okay. And it's okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? The problem is, we are not living in a perfect world. Okay? Until Jesus Christ comes back again, the forces of darkness are active in the world. And if we choose to ignore 
or not to give the same kind of attention and commitment to Jesus Christ, the one who delivered us from the darkness, guess what? We are giving the darkness a leverage in our lives. Hello? Okay? We are actually giving them permission. You have to understand something, church. You are sons and daughters of God Almighty through Jesus Christ. You have to understand that. As sons and daughters of the Almighty, according to the Word of God, you have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness has no legal jurisdiction over you. Okay? I mean, if he touches you, how dare he touch you? Because he has no rights over you. Okay? But if you choose to go in his territory, you are giving him rights in your life. Even if he has no jurisdiction over you. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you choose to violate the principles of God, you are giving him permission to touch you. You understand what I'm saying? And if we do not know who we are in Christ, we do not know our rights and our privileges in Christ. He can come into our house and he will steal our rights. He has no right there. He has no authority, but he can do that. But because of our ignorance, we will allow him. You understand what I'm saying? The prophet Hosea says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. They do not know what I've done for them. They do not know the covenant that I have with them. They do not know the provisions I made for them. They do not know this. And they perish for a lack of knowledge. And so because of that, in the eyes of God, you are a champion. In the eyes of heaven, you are an irresistible force. In the eyes of the kingdom of God, you are an explosive force for the kingdom of God. And hell has no chance against you. Okay? But if we do not see what they're seeing, then we will not walk in that reality. We will allow the devil to lie to us and we will give him permission. You understand what I'm saying? Remember how the devil lied to Eve? If you eat of that fruit, then you will be just like God. Wait a minute, weren't they already like God? They were created in the image of God, so they were already like God. So the, the, the enemy was implying that God short-changed short them. God promised them something, but put something back. That's the lie there. Okay? And so they obeyed that, and they became his servants. Until we learn who we are in Christ. Until we learn. And when we talk about learning, it's learning from here. Because we come to this second part, the second... Uh, 
The second lesson, or the second principle, knowing who Christ is will allow us to walk in his authority. Verse 17, it says here, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Of all people to answer that, it was Peter. Was Peter, was Peter an intellectual? No. Judas probably was smarter than Peter this time when it comes to this. Okay? Was he like a saint? Well, no. He was a plain fisherman. He was an ordinary person. He did not have a higher IQ than the others. He did not have a higher education than the others. He did not have a doctorate degree. He did not have what St. Paul has. And yet, he received one of his greatest revelations there is. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the anointed one, the Son of the only God, the only one who can fulfill God's promises. How did he learn this? Through study. Jesus Christ said, this was given to you by my Father in heaven. If my Father had not given this to you, you would not have known this. This was something that was revealed to him at that moment by the Father in heaven. Need to understand something, church. When we follow God, we must have seeking hearts before the Lord. Okay? And when he found out, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood is not revealed to see but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are now Peter, or the word Cephas. You are Simon, that's the name your father, John, John or Jonah, gave to you. See, he says Bar Jonah. Bar means son, Jonah means uh, son of Jonah. Okay? He gave you that name, Simon Bar Jonah, but because my father gave you this revelation, you, you, you know something now that makes you stronger than what you were before. I am naming you now Cephas. Peter, a stone. You will make you stronger, make you solid on the inside. This is what we need when we receive revelation from God Almighty. There was a guy named John Alexander Dowie. He was having problems in his church. People were dying. and He was asking the Lord for his mercy. He was asking the Lord for, for deliverance for his church. The people were dying left and right. And one night he was looking at the Holy Scriptures, how Jesus Christ healed the sick and all of these things. And he was asking, he was, he was so frustrated. Why is it that we're having a different kind of experience than what we are reading in the Holy Scriptures? And, and, and his frustration, he threw his Bible on the wall. Okay? And when he realized what he did, he said, oh God, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know what came over me. So he, he went to his Bible. But the Bible, when it fell from the wall, it opened a certain page. And his eyes zeroed in on Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And you know how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. That became a revelation to him. For the first time, he actually understood, oh, sickness is not coming from God. It's an oppression of the devil. Oh, sickness is not a friend to teach us what is good. It is an enemy of God. The moment that exploded in his life, it could not, they could not stop him from preaching the gospel about healing. If, if he saw sickness in his congregation, he attacked it with a faith that is complete. He never doubted anymore. Lord, I pray that you will 
to heal this brain. No, he's not praying that anymore. He understood it was the will of God. It became strong for him and a healing ministry was brought out to him. You understand what I'm saying? When we understand who we are here, not here, here, then we will start acting like rocks of heaven. You understand what I'm saying? Not pushovers, but solid rocks that is based on the rock of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and Jesus Christ says, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You are a little stone based on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against us. In other words, Peter, with that rock, when you understand who you are in Christ, the gates of hell, the kingdom of hell will not stand a chance against you. Then God, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail. You know what that means? Well, if you're on the inside, gates prevent people from going out. If you're on the outside, gates prevent people from getting in. Take note, he says it's the gates of hell. That means hell is on the defensive when it comes to us. Hell is trying to come up with its best defense against the church. But he said, if you are armed with my revelation, if you are armed with my faith, you can assault the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not stand against you. The devil will not be more powerful than you. The whole kingdom of darkness will not be greater than you. As a matter of fact, we understand from his statement here that if it's only you and Jesus, you are a majority against the entire kingdom of hell. Hello? You need to understand this, church. And that he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Take note, the keys of the kingdom were given to us. We don't ask God to close the door for that key person. We have the keys. Keys mean authority. Whatever you lose or you allow or whatever you give permission to. Okay? Heaven will allow that. Okay? I mean, if you see sickness over there and you allow it, heaven doesn't want that to stay there. But you allow it, heaven will allow it. Well, why doesn't God do anything about it? Because he gave you the authority to do something about it. God will not do for you what he already gave you the authority and the power to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I'm talking to you and suddenly a demon comes here and he starts shouting and he starts making noise and you're not hearing what I'm telling you and you're wondering how come God is allowing this demon to stay? It's because you've allowed him to stay. You know how the demon will leave? When you rise up with the authority that Christ has given you, and you say to that demon, in the name of Jesus, get out of here, and he will go out. Okay, well, why doesn't God do it? Because he gave you the keys. 
Why did God allow the snake into the garden? Because he gave the keys to Adam. Adam should have said, snake, you're not telling us what God told us. How come you're deceiving my wife? Got her to eat that. How get, get out of here. Snake would have left. Hello? Whatever you buy, that means you do not permit. You do not allow. Whenever, whenever we engage in intercession, we're binding the powers of darkness and we are allowing the powers of God to come. Whenever we proclaim the word of God over the situation, the Bible says you shall declare a thing and it shall be established to you, for you. God will establish for you what you declare. Well, I don't think it's going to, to happen. Well, I don't think we're going to meet that need. Well, I don't think we'll, we'll be able to accomplish that goal. That's what you said. That's what you're going to get. That's what Jesus Christ said. Death and life are in the power of the what? The tongue. That's what he said. All we have to do is believe what the Lord said. You mean to tell me I'm just flesh and blood and I can just say that and then it's like heaven's blood? Yes! Because your flesh and blood, that's true, but you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You have been adopted as a child of God. You have become an heir of God. You have become a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. You have been translated into the kingdom of his own dear son. You have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. All things have become you. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have been raised up and you have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's who you are. You're not a victim. In Christ, you're the victim. But those things must become real in the lives. Amen? I can really go on and on. But then, my wife and my son will chastise me again. So, how many of you learned something today? Let's all stand and agree.